Please join me in prayer. Father, it is a wonderful thing to see your church at work, caring for each other the likes of which we just saw. It is a wonderful thing to hear your church worship, to sing the songs that glorify your holy name. And it is a wonderful thing when the church opens hearts and minds to receive the word. Thank you for your word, Father. It is trustworthy and true. Where the word speaks, you have spoken because you are the author of this book. And now may our hearts and minds be open before you and may, may we be changed forever by the life-transforming word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Like to follow along, you'll see it on the screen, and if you have your Bibles, you will want to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning with verse number 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James. And Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Well, God had chosen in his divine initiative and plan that the beginning of the proclamation of the message, the glorious gospel of Jesus, and the beginning of the church would happen in and through these men called the apostles. 
You know, every one of us has a ministry. Once saved, once you give your life to Christ, we are all given something by the Lord to do. And then there are those who were unique in some way, and the apostles were surely that. Peter is the one who describes God's sovereign choice of apostles and uh, the tasks they were given. Later on in Acts chapter 10, just let me read this verse for you. We are witnesses of all the things Jesus did in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen by God beforehand. That is to those who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. The call to preach was a divine appointment, still is. It is not a matter of a talent search. Many have assumed to preach that didn't have the call of God, and you can see the effects of that all through the world. It's not primarily a matter of credentials and education and experience, although those are all very important. There's something that has to happen primary to that, and that is the call of God upon a person's life. If not, it can be like the false prophets of Jeremiah 23. In my study this week, when I came to this verse, it was like, wow, this is just, this is just overwhelming. When in Jeremiah 23, it says, the Lord said, I did not send those prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. He continues, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision from their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. We want those who preach, don't we, to speak the mouth of the Lord, to speak the Scripture and the Scripture alone. And the apostles were certainly committed to that. They were faithful with the exception one. And here they are now in the upper room, and one has become a traitor, and he's got to be replaced. I titled the message as, uh, If These Walls Could Speak, and that was a reference to the upper room, because here they are in the upper room. They had been in this upper room before. In fact, uh, the Gospels tell the story of how Jesus told Peter and John to go prepare the Passover for that Monday, Thursday, when he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, before the Friday he would hang on the cross, before the Sunday he would be raised again. And Jesus gave this instruction, you're going to go and find a man in the street, and he's going to be carrying a jar of water. I want you to follow him. Go to the house where he is going. And when you go to that house, go in and meet the master and say, where is it? that we could have the Passover meal with Jesus' disciples. And that man showed Peter and John the upper room. And they went to that upper room. And they spent that, that Thursday night there before Jesus went 
to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that is the place where Jesus taught them the ordinance of foot washing. That is the place where Jesus instituted the the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the remission of sin. As oft as you eat it and drink it, remember me until I come. This is uh, a place where having experienced that, a group of the disciples, believe it or not, have a discussion against, uh, among themselves as to who's the greatest among us. Can you imagine that? This is the place that Jesus foretells Peter's denial. I won't deny, deny you, Lord. I will even die with you. Peter, Peter, I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny you even knew me three times. This is where the betrayal of Judas began. In the Gospels, you'll find out that it was said that it was at the, at the supper, at the Passover celebration with the, with the uh, disciples, that the devil entered the heart of Judas. This is the place where Jesus gave a new commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He gave us a badge of identification that the church would love each other and the world would see that and be amazed. And then it's the place in the upper room where Judas had to be replaced. And I read that for you, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. And then it was the place also where we'll talk about next week, where the power of the Holy Spirit exploded, and the church was born, and we were given our marching orders as God's beloved family. Well, I want you to notice a couple things about what was going on with uh, these apostles in this upper room, okay? The first one I, I want to mention comes from the reading in <clears throat> verses 12 through 15. I, I want you to see that this group of men were exhibiting a remarkable sense of unity. The Bible says they were in one accord. Isn't that great? They had been following the instruction of the Holy Spirit to wait, wait for the baptism of the Spirit, wait for the power that would come. We all know, right, that you can't do this thing called church. You can't do the work of the Lord in human strength. It just never was intended that way. And until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can't do what's been asked of you to do. They were devoting themselves to prayer. What, a, what an example. Do we pray enough, church, do you think? Is, is it possible to pray too much? I don't think so. But can you see the attention and the commitment to prayer and to obedience, to being together, the pattern that was expected for the behavior of the early church? They were waiting on what God was doing. They were praying. They were witnessing. They were getting together. They were in one accord, and they were understanding what Jesus was doing among them. 
I want to tell you something about this that's very important to the church, this church going forward, I think. The chief shepherd, Jesus himself, has never abdicated the overall welfare and planning and strategy and empowerment to any under-shepherd. It is his and his alone. Now, you know, it's really important for we pastor types to, to have vision and so on. I've always found that important. You know, I guess there's, it's kind of associated to the business model of today. You got to have a vision. And we often quote, where there is no vision, the people perish. I want to tell you, someday I'm going to do a teaching on that because that verse screams for being taken out of context. It doesn't have anything to do about a human vision. And we'll talk about it someday. But it's important to have a vision. I think there's something primary to having a vision, though, when it comes to the work of the church. I think something more important than vision is this, revelation. That means, what does God want done? How should we be praying? What's in my mind and my heart to do in the, in the will and way of the church? Well, that's one way to do it. There's another way. Oh, God, what are you doing? Where are you, Father? What are you doing among your people? What do you want done in your church? And uh, in the upper room, these were the issues. What a place, huh? Wow, if these walls could speak. The, the upper room, the scripture here tells us, was a Sabbath day journey from where they were. That was the maximum distance a Jew could walk according to rabbinic law, on the Sabbath. It was about a, a half a mile, technically 2,000 cubits. That's all you could go. And there was the upper room. Coincidence? I think not. God had planned it and designed it. And then there was this list of those who were in attendance. In, in that list, I just want to take note, this is just so wonderful to me, that, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. How cool is that? The woman who had birthed the Savior in this world was also there for the birth of the church. I just think that is so great. Only God can do these things. And then his uh, brothers, it says, but it doesn't list them here. You have to go to Mark 6, verse number 3, to find out their names, which were James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And I want to take special note about them because I'm glad they were there. Something happened, and maybe this happened in the upper room too, because eight months earlier, these boys didn't even believe in Jesus. I mean, that's what the Scripture says in John 7, 5. Not even his brothers were believing in him, but now they believe. I wonder if it happened in the upper room upon reflection of all Jesus began to do and teach. And there it is in verse 14 where we read, they all continued with one accord in prayer, in spiritual unity, in seeking God for the will of the kingdom, in focusing upon Jesus, intent to be learning the scripture, they were committed to the body, committed to each other, the likes you see in the path, Pathway of Life group video today. 
devoted to each other in that way. Let's, let's help each other through life. Let's live life to the full and be there for one another. They knew they needed that kind of mutual encouragement and support. And they were intent upon believing and obeying. The second thing, according to verses 15 through 20, that I want to suggest happened in the upper room was this. They exercised development of godly leadership. I mean, they had to. One of them had failed. And it became a priority to choose leaders who demonstrated the call upon their lives and exhibited the qualities and characteristics approved by Christ himself. And I, and I want to point again to this issue of how leadership is chosen in the church. The question is not primarily, although it can be important, what, what's the education here? Or what are the credentials? Or what's the experience? Or can this person actually do the work of ministry and so on? They, they, they all have their place. But I want to point you in the direction of the, the verse in John 15, 16, one more time where Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. And that's the question in the choosing of leadership, that Christ himself is the one who approves. And so here they are in the upper room. Must have been a pretty good-sized room. They could hold 120 people. And leadership became the issue because one who failed dramatically had to be replaced. In the ebb and flow of life, you know that even serving the Lord is just not a, an automatic and upward climb to the ways of joy and blessing, right? There's issues along the way with which we need to contend. And these brothers had to that day in the upper room because the joy for a moment had to be tempered by the tragic loss of Judas. And Peter took charge. He was a take charge kind of guy. And the church does require solid spirit-led leadership during any crisis. And Peter gave the perspective that was needed in verses 15 through 20. He taught them that this was a matter of the scripture being fulfilled. That Judas had made his choice, but God decided he would bring it to something that could be a blessing as well. You know, it's impossible to understand the mind of God, right? We, we, we seek his mind, we seek his heart, but the finite human being cannot understand the infinite mind of God. I want to tell you for sure, and this is so important, an understanding of Judas an understanding of what human life is in this world today. No person is ever lost and separated from God forever only but by personal choice. And that is what is happening to Judas. I mean, how is it possible that a man like the other disciples would walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, listen to him, share meals with him, watch his ministry, listen to his doctrine, his teaching, he was the life changer. He was the rescuer. He was the very son of God. 
and Judas missed it? How is it possible? But it was. And he chose a different way. And it was awful. And he ends up taking his own life. Now, in Matthew 27, 5, it says that he hanged himself. Here it talks about him falling headlong and splitting himself open, his insides spewing out. What, what, what a picture. That is not a contradiction in the Bible. I mean, think about this. In the terrain and where they were, he hangs himself on a tree. Maybe on a branch that's too weak, his body's too heavy, it snaps, he's over the rocks and the crevices and a cliff, and down he goes, just like the scripture said. And this is how it happened. Judas, according to Peter, was among the group. He was part of the group, but what we know about Judas, he was never saved. He was never authentic. Jesus said in John 6, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus said, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? And for 30 lousy pieces of silver, he turns Jesus in and betrays him. And this is what the, tr the scripture teaches. His subsequent aw awful death. And then the brothers have to step up and say, and now it's time to choose a new leader. And so they did. Verses 21 through 26 is the description of that choice. There was criteria that was given. And it was this, you had to be a member of Jesus' band of brothers. You had to be there to see what he had done in his three years of ministry. You had to be part of that. You had to have uh, been with him for those three years, and you had to have been an eyewitness to the resurrection. And thirdly, and most importantly, again, to make this point again, it had to be the direct and immediate commissioning to the office by Christ himself. That's how they prayed, didn't they? You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots. Casting of lots was something that's pretty familiar in the Old Testament. This is the last time you read about it in the New Testament. And it was uh, probably a little bottle, they think, and probably like little stones that would have been marked with each of the names, one Justice, one Matthias is put in the bottle, swirled around, and one is dumped in, in the lap. That's why Proverbs 16, 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. And out came Matthias's name, and he became one of the apostles and would be there in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Oh, if these walls could speak. What do you think they'd say? Other than what has already been suggested by the scripture itself. What a place, huh? You have a special place like that in your life? 
Maybe a special time you heard Jesus speak to you. Maybe it's today. And maybe it's right here. If these walls could speak, they might be saying to you today, have you come to put your full confidence in the Lord Jesus? Do you understand that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that 2,000 years ago this same Jesus was put upon a cross, that he died in the place of all who will ever call upon him and that through his death and shedding of blood he makes the only payment for sin that God will ever accept. He is our rescuer. He came to save us. If there is one thing I wish the church overall could understand and and pathway church here in the time we minister together, it would be, uh, can we capture the sense of urgency that you see in the upper room? To tell the truth and to tell it straight and to tell it strong, but to tell it with urgency? You know, you consider the life of Judas and the choosing of a new apostle. Do you see how this thing called the gospel and the work of the church is a matter of life and death? This is real. I think of the words in closing of uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, who uh, back in the day in the uh, Second World War on the BBC gave uh, a number of messages. It became part of several of his books, uh, the most famous being Mere Christianity. But in one of the messages he gave that he entitled A Slip of the Tongue, sermon on the BBC, he closed with these words one night, and I close with them for you today. He said, in the end, If it is not the kingdom of God you have chosen, it will not matter what you chose instead. Those words are true. The gospel's true, and the Lord is here for you today. If there would be one person today here who's never made a a commitment to the Lord and found him as Savior and Lord of all. I want to tell you, he is here for you. And I urge you in this very moment to say to him, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you are the friend of sinners. I need your saving grace. I I know you came to seek and to save the lost, and I'm lost before you, and I want to be found. Be great for you today. Or maybe there's some other issue you want to pray about. The habit and pattern of this church is for people to come to the altar here. Someone prays with you, and sometimes they come here and pray alone. And then last week, I I began a little habit that I I, I think I'm going to continue if it's okay with you. At at the end of the service, um, some people came down last week to greet me and shake my hand and asked me to pray about certain things. Uh, I found that so touching. And I want to be here for you today if, if that is something. I see our other pastors, Chantha and Michael, are, are in, the, in the auditorium as well. And 
you might want to speak with one of them, but we did that last night again, and I, I promised every person who came, I, I'm going to pray for you every single day without fail this week for the need of your life. So just come and whisper in my ear, will you? How can I pray for you as pastor and friend? All right? And if you would like to come and pray, I welcome you to do that today. What a God we serve. Amen? He is on his throne and in charge of his church. Amen. Let's stand, church. Responding to what God's doing in the moment. That's all we're doing right now. Sing with me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh my soul. I worship your holy up it's a new day darling it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing with
worship His holy name. Sing like this. course one more time bless the lord oh my soul worship sing His work is never done. He's never finished with us, especially. And so if he's still moving in your heart and he's still doing things in your life through his Holy Spirit right now, linger. Would you come to, to an altar, come to a prayer partner? We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. Um, and if not, just fellowship. Make sure we're always fellowshipping as we leave. It's so important to love one another, amen? May God bless you, church.